Happy Tuesday, everybody. Baseball playoffs are back today. Already we get a shocker. Braves fall to the Phillies in game one. Although they made it interesting in the ninth. I'll give you that. This was a 7-2 game. Next thing you know, it's 7-6. And when Matt Olson went yard, I started thinking, hmm, could it be? Could it be? The answer is no. It wasn't. It was all. The Phillies survived. Best way to put it. Phillies survived and win game one of the best of seven. How about what Seattle's doing to Justin Verlander? They knocked him out after four today. Verlander pitched so good during the regular season. Ten hits, six earned runs. Man, oh, man. Former Chihuahua, Ty France, three for three, two RBIs. Julio Rodriguez, two for three, two RBIs. Uh, J.P. Crawford hit a home run off of Verlander. I mean, this this game is wild, man. Seattle had a um, – it was a 4 nothing lead, then it was 4-2, then it was 6-2, and now it's 6-3, and we're going to the top of the seventh. You imagine if the, if the uh, Mariners take game one over the Astros and the Phils just took game one over the Braves – Maybe the magic is in the air for the Guardians and the Pods tonight. Yeah, that's right. Maybe today's the day for the underdogs. Maybe it's the today's the day for the teams who experience the wild card round to start things off. Maybe they have a little bit more uh, momentum and more juice going into this first game uh, of the divisional series. Now, I'm so fascinated by this Mariners game, uh, and it's two guys in particular that uh, you know deserve a lot of the credit: Julio Rodriguez, yep. Ty France, yep. and what they were able to do to start things off against Justin Verlander, up six to two to to get things started and of course uh Astros get on the board again to make it 6-3 right now end of the sixth inning but uh Mariners riding all the momentum especially against one of the best pitchers in all of baseball well Logan Gilbert won 13 games during the regular season had an ERA of 3.2 and uh, 174 strikeouts and pretty much about a top 20 to 25 pitcher in the American League and he's your game one starter and you know, Gilbert didn't pitch great today, but he pitched better than Verlander. He at least went five and a thirds. So, you know, it'll be interesting now to see if the Seattle bullpen, which could feature hard-throwing Andres Munoz, another former Chihuahua, can, uh, can get it done. How interesting is it to see all of these former El Paso players on other rosters? I think that, to me, is what is my biggest takeaway. Um, as far as the postseason goes, because you look at the way these rosters are aligned, right? And first off, as far as uh, Chihuahuas on Padres rosters, there are four of them. You've got Jose Azucar, Luis Capusano, Adrian Morajone, and Stephen Wilson, okay? But then look at the um, effects on the rest of the playoff roster, okay? You have Austin Hedges, Josh Naylor, and Cal Quantrill on the Guardians. You have France, Munoz, and Luis Torrens on the Mariners roster. And you've got Trace Thompson on the Dodgers roster. So there you go. I mean, it is interesting how four clubs have a total of 11 former Chihuahuas playing in the postseason this year.
Yeah, so cool to see this. I love when we get a chance to make a local connection with the Chihuahuas players still playing in the postseason. One's up at the bat right now at the plate uh, in Thai France, and he's uh, he's you know he's going up against Javier here uh, right now against uh, the Astros. And you know Ty France has done so well. Out of all the names that you've mentioned, Steve, Ty France was the one who's really skyrocketed since his time in yep. San Diego and El Paso. Look at what he's doing today: three for three, a double, two RBI to help out uh, the Mariners to a six. 6-3 lead against the Astros uh, among that great group. And I I love that group that you mentioned. Uh, I still think Ty France stands out among all of them. Batted 276, 20 home runs, 84 RBIs uh, this year. And and just Cade swinging. But you're right. France has been a very big member of that uh, Seattle lineup. And that's one of the reasons why France bats second right behind Julio Rodriguez and in front of uh, Suarez. So, yeah. It's it's fun to watch and see uh, you know how these guys are doing and I'm so interested to see if the Mariners can can win this game and close the Astros out in in game 1 and try to at least set the tone in this seven-game series. Yeah, I love this. I love if you're able to steal the first game against uh, a team that is uh, expected to go all the way, really. I mean, Astros, Yankees, those are the two teams that you expect at the end uh, when it comes to the championship series. However, if the Mariners were able to throw a wrench in all of this, or even the Guardians, I mean, we talk about former Chihuahuas. How about Cal Quantrill on yep. the mound tonight against Garrett Cole? That's true, too. That is true, too. So that's going to be a fun one, and uh, you're right. Quantrill, another one, game one starter for uh, for the Guardians. So that's big. And Suarez just deposited a ball into the left field stands. Wow. So oh, man. it is now a 7-3 to three game thanks to uh, Suarez going yard and just destroying that Javier pitch. So, you know, the Mariners team can hit. And I think a lot of people were snoozing on Seattle because of how good Houston was during the regular season. Most people felt like the Astros would sweep the Mariners and not even make this a series. And so far, Seattle has shown that they have brought their bats, and that was a pitch right over the plate that Suarez just pulled the other way and, uh, and, and took out in a line drive missile to the left field, uh, to the left field seats. Yeah, and this is uh, a quality pitcher right here in Javier, who's on the mound for the Astros, and and it just shows you where the Mariners are at right now, playing very spirited. Uh, I I didn't think they'd get out of the wild card round, Steve. I'll be honest, I thought Toronto would take that series, uh, and especially how they went up in that one game. Mariners rallied back, uh, and then you know all. All you know, all is go- good for this Mariners team advancing into the postseason, and now they've got a tough task in the Astros. But hey, uh, handling them here at least in Game One, let's see if they can keep it up. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, look, the Mariners shut out the Blue Jays in Game One behind Luis Castillo, and as you said, Saturday told us a lot about this Seattle team. A lot. They were down seven runs to Toronto. Seven. It was a uh, you know, it was uh, an 8-1 game in the after the 5th. After 8-1. And then Seattle scored 4 in the 6th, 4 in the 8th, 1 in the ninth, stunned the Blue Jays 10-9. And I think that right there sent shockwaves throughout uh, baseball. Because remember, that, that took care of the, the Blue Jays. They were done because they lost game one, so they were just out of the playoff series then. And now you get the Mariners riding all this momentum. 
You do. And same, I mean, same with Cleveland, right? Like, they also have a ton of momentum as well. I mean, they had that 15-inning win against the Rays. They get a, a chance to break a break away and uh, have a little rest um, Sunday, Monday. And now here, they're they're getting set to take on, uh, you know, Goliath here in the Yankees and, and Garrett Cole tonight in Game 1. So, I like these upsets, these early upsets that we're seeing so far, whether it was the Phillies from earlier today or, you know, the Mariners trying to hang on against the Astros. I, I think this makes it fun for the postseason. Mariners won 90 games during the regular season. The Astros won 106 games during the regular season. They were 106 and 56. So when you're 50 games over 500, you have the second best record in baseball behind the Dodgers. It would be a colossal disappointment if the Astros don't win this series. Nobody uh, expects that to happen. In fact, most expect the Astros to probably go to the World Series, even win the World Series. You know, for Dusty Baker, who's been uh, on the verge for so many years, just hasn't happened for Dusty. So, you know, you say to yourself, man, if you win 106 games and you can't get out of the divisional round to the Mariners after a bye, then what? So that would be a, a massive disappointment if you're the Astros, even if you lose game one here today. Yeah, you have some of the best players in all of Major League Baseball. That's the bottom line. Like it, With the talent, it's unmatched when it comes to the Astros, maybe even across the entire uh, you know, entire league when you, you really stack up their roster against others, especially when you look at their pitching and, and what they're able to bring. But uh, Mariners able to get capitalize on their momentum that they're riding in from the weekend into this game and just shows you that, hey, when you're hot in October, you throw the records aside. Nothing really matters it's all about who, which team has the more momentum i agree with you let's go to jose he joins us first here 11 pass as we continue 505-6009 just getting started on the show jose happy tuesday how are you what's up brother what's up man you know so i'm, I'm watching the the, the the games and all that and seeing that how some of the teams are struggling do you think that buy has anything to do with it that they're a little cold you know what i mean like i like the Braves lost today you know and they were such a hot team you know um Philly, really, you know, they, they, they turned it on. I'm just, I think the pie has a lot to do with that, that it's kind of throwing the, the the rhythm of these players off. I mean, I'm pretty sure Houston will be able to get it back, but I'm just wondering, like, hey, man, I wonder if the pie does anything good for the actual, except for the pitching rotation, I mean, that you could reset, but as far as hitting and all that, I don't know if it does uh, the, the hitters any good. The only thing, I, the only good I see about a bye after playing a 162 game season is it gives you a chance to rest up. And if you're and if you're injured or you're bruised and you need that extra week, the bye can really help. That being said, um, you're you're right about that. And I've always felt the same way in the NFL postseason. Have you always noticed that in the NFL playoffs, the team there's at least one team that gets a bye that usually will lose in the divisional round after getting the bye through the wild card round. Yeah, definitely, man. I mean, I, I I get it, and, you know, you want to give the ones that win the most, you want to give them the benefit, you know what I mean? It's a rest. But, man, I think I uh, just look at them, and I was like, man, the Astros, they're not they're not playing the same. The the Braves took a while for them to get going, you know what I mean? And I think they got going a little too late. And, th- and then the postseason, especially a five-game series, every game counts, man, you know? So... No, you're right. You're 100% correct. Now, that's why, um, you know, and that's another thing. That's a good point you bring up in this, and that is, you know, you look at the way the baseball playoffs are and the way everything is, uh, is situated and how important, you know, really these series are for everybody because, you know, you, you lose one and it, 
it definitely puts you in a very, very tough spot. Now, um, best of three, it's almost a killer because, you know, you realize that you, know, you lose two games and you're done. Um, you, you like series where you at least have a little more, uh, a little more wiggle room. But, man, um, you know, now all of a sudden the Astros and the Braves – could have serious, serious work to do. Who knows about what's going to happen with the Yankees and the uh, Dodgers? Everybody's expecting that to also be, um, you know, a, a potential um, easy series. But hey, best of fives. Um, you know, you lose one or two at home, you're you're almost done. It means you got to win three in a row. So you're right. Yeah. Uh, you know, best of five is a little better than a best of three, but not much. So yeah, not, you, not by much. Man. No, you know, because so. because you're right. Now you have to win the next three out of four in order to win the series. That's how tough it is. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Like right now, the Mariners win. They basically snatched home field. You know what I mean? Because they're going to get two at home. I don't you know see, I mean? and my so, thing is this: I don't like best of fives in the divisional round. I don't know about you, but I'm fine with the best of three in the wild card round. But I, I almost would rather just do best of seven after you get through the wild card round. Go best of three into best of seven. But man, best of five—that's tough because now the only know, best of seven you get is the the NLCS, the ALCS, and the World Series. That's it. And sometimes you need a seven-game series to decide some of these. Well, like I got that—I'm a Giants fan. I'm a so last year it killed me having to play the Dodgers, and especially since they had the two best records in baseball, and then you know. For the Giants to go out the way they did on that one controversial call, or like the, the Blues made last year. Yep. And like you said, man, well, once you get to the DS, you got to go best of seven. I'm with you. Some of these teams just deserve it. You know what I mean? They they played so hard during the whole the whole year to you know just bump into like a bad streak. Maybe you're on a bad you know had a bad week or something like that. You, you got to be able to you got to give them the chance to get out of that funk. Yeah, you know, you're 100% right. It's funny how you think you play 162 games and a best of three decides the wild card and a best of five decides the NLDS. You almost say make the wild card best of five, make the NLDS best of seven along with the world, you know, the, the uh, championship in the World Series. Might be long, but, you know, you're playing six months and it's crazy that it could be decided in a matter of games. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know what? I mean, if you really think about it, MLB, it's more games. More money for them. Why wouldn't they do that? You know I what I know. mean? It's a good question. So, really good question. Appreciate you, Jose. Right, Thanks for the call. Yes, <sighs> Tough stuff. What do you think, Adrian? One game winner take all in the wild card round and then best of seven all the way around. Yeah. I think that's how they should do it. No, not uh, shorten the format like Jay Jaffe was kind of insinuating last week. I, I'm not for that. I kind of like the expansion. It, it makes it fun. And look at the expansion teams that we've seen go this far, like the Phillies and, and how, how far they're going so far and, and how they play, how well they played against Atlanta. So winner take all wild card round and then the divisional Series 7, uh, Championship Series 7, and then World Series, of course, 7. I do think a bye hurts these teams in a five-game series. I mean, if it was a seven-game series and you had a chance to recover, that's one thing. But you on a bye and you lose game one, now it really puts you in a must-win situation for games two and then really three and potentially four or five, depending on how it goes. Yeah, think about it. It's six days of rest right there, and maybe more for some of these uh, standout players who were just held from the lineups last mm. week. Like they weren't playing to close the to close the season last week for some of these guys. Uh, you know, so I, I look at it: seven day rest, possibly maybe a week plus for some of these guys. Yeah, that's tough to just shake off the cobwebs and get at it.
All right, 17 pass, just getting going here on the show. We'd love to hear from you today, 505-6009. We have a ton to talk about. We'll get to all your calls, your uh, tweets, your messages on our free mobile app, which you can download if you haven't done so already, uh, courtesy of our friends at First American Bank. But first, uh, let's go to none other than Charlie One and get this traffic update. So here's my solution for baseball. Here's what I would do, okay? I get it. It's starting to get colder again because we're in the middle now of October and we're only in the divisional rounds. But since baseball wanted to expand the way they did and the way they have, and they've given it a best of three, what I would do is this. I would make the divisional series best of seven, championship and World Series best of seven, wild card round best of three, and take the season and reduce it to 154 from 162. So that's how I would handle the eight days uh, and, and move this thing back a little bit so that way we could start earlier, end earlier, not have to deal with such awful weather, and just cut eight games off this season. For crying out loud, 154 used to be the norm anyway before expansion took over in the 60s and they moved up to 60, 162. I have no problem with a 154-game season. You know, I also think that if you if you kind of scheduled it to where Major League Baseball finished at the end of August when people still aren't really caring about football and it, you still can capitalize on a lot of that time right there, make that month of August very meaningful for the last stretch of baseball, then you can really capitalize on the month of September and yep. then a World Series come October. That way you're not having to worry about uh, going up against the NFL and going up against football uh, on a you know day-to-day basis when it comes to Major League Baseball. Baseball playoffs. The reason why we love it is it's on a daily basis. We can catch them on weekdays and stuff like that. But it, when it comes to weekends, I think the average sports fan might choose uh, NFL. Unless you're a baseball diehard, you might choose NFL to watch on Sundays and and you know college football on Saturdays versus you know checking in on ba- Major League Baseball. No, I'm with you. I'm totally with you on that one. But um, I just don't like best of five for a divisional series. I'd much rather see it go seven and go back to 154, which was the first time. They, they, they haven't had a 154-game season since 1960, okay? Because 61 is when they expanded, and when they expanded teams in 61, they expanded games from 154 to 162. So what I'm saying is go back. It'll also make the records more interesting because now if you only have 154 games to do it, you're really kind of going back to pre-expansion records to see how those go. So... You know, um, again, I don't have a problem with it. I think it would be easier for fans to deal with because it's almost like, look at the NBA. Look at all the best of sevens we get during the NBA playoffs. The NBA playoffs last forever. Forever. And I'm not saying the baseball postseason has to last forever, but all I'm saying is if you're going to do divisional championship rounds in the World Series, make those best of sevens. And if you're worried about too cold uh, during this time of year, take eight games off the schedule. Do you really think any baseball fan is going to be complaining if you go from 162 down to 154? 
No, and the only people who would comp- uh, complain are the people who own the baseball teams, which they're making a fortune anyways, right? Yeah. I mean, they're they're still racking in all these dollars, but they're going to be the ones saying, "Well, we're losing out on TV revenue, we're losing out on ticket sales for those games." I get which it. I get. I, I get all that too. But at the same time, if you want to put together a product that's going to be loved by the masses and also give you the best uh, overall team to advance forward in the playoffs, a best of five series in the divisional round is asking a lot for some of these teams. I I think that's almost kind of like a, a three-game series because if a, a, a series swings one way or the other, this series a series could be over in an instant. You lose four dates is what you basically lose going from 162 down to 154 because you're going to have four home games, four road games, eight total games. So you lose your four you lose your four gates basically from that. And yet you're still making it up with the expanded postseason all more teams going in, so you're going to be playing more playoff games to begin with right now. And that's kind of where I'm looking at it. You're letting all these teams in, and yet it's just the games don't feel right. I feel like Jaffe right now. The games don't feel right going to a best-of-five series for the divisional round. It just doesn't. You know, if a team like uh, the Yankees or the Astros or maybe even the Dodgers don't advance, even the Braves for that matter, because they won over 100 games, they, those teams don't advance uh, to further in the in the playoffs. It's going to be a lot. You know, a lot of people will have a lot of blowback blowback to this expanded yeah. playoffs because they'll say that these are the teams that deserve to be there, that they earn their spot, and they should be uh, playing for higher stakes versus going up against a, a divisional in a, in a divisional series where it's only best of five. I mean, imagine if the Braves were to bow out after winning 101 games. Like it's possible. That's, that's Yeah, it's very possible well, now. And here's another thing, okay? In a five-game series, you line up your first starter to pitch in game five. What if there isn't a game five? That's 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 the, that's the cause of, of concern, you know? Best of seven, you pretty much know that unless you're getting swept, your game one starter will have a chance to at least go a second time. So if you're the Braves, you want Max Freed to go again. He might not. If you're the Astros, you want Justin Verlander to go again. If they lose today to Seattle, he might not. So that's what I'm talking about. It just doesn't seem right going you know, first team to three instead of first team to five uh, to, to four because what you're doing is you could ultimately take your number one starter out of a uh, of a, se- a possible second game. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate when you put it that way, Steve. And also, I look at uh, you know you you reference the NBA playoffs being long, and, and that's true; they are long, and so are hockey playoffs; those are long as well. Yep. But what you're seeing for those leagues is they're kind of pushing up their end dates a little earlier. Like it feels like every year NBA uh, ends the regular season ends a little earlier. Now it's starting to end uh, early to mid uh, April, and now you're seeing playoffs as early as late April, especially when you're talking about those play-in games. Those are winner take alls, and ever, after that, everything else is best of seven so why not extend that in other uh you know other sports like major league baseball which i i believe definitely should have a seven game series when it comes to their divisional round based on the current format the possible um game fives would be played no later than monday monday man that's tough now think about this too okay the nba makes me sick because they sometimes take three days off in between games it's a joke Baseball's going to have all five games played mostly by, they started Tuesday. They'll have most of it done by Sunday, no later than Monday. The only two Monday games potentially are Seattle-Houston and Cleveland-The Yankees. The National League games will be done by Sunday. So, and that just goes to show you, you know, baseball, you don't really 
get many days off. You're not worried about resting everybody for the sake of of uh, of perfect TV times and TV schedules like you are with the NBA. Baseball, you just play. You know, it's interesting that you're seeing both the NL series right now in the divisional round. Uh, they're playing back-to-back, so they're playing right away tomorrow. Phillies-Braves at it uh, at 2.30 tomorrow, and then uh, after tonight's Padres-Dodgers game, they're right back at it tomorrow again uh, with the 6.30 first pitch on FS1. So that just tells you right there, Steve, the, these teams, I mean, the way that the scheduling is right now for Major League Baseball playoffs, they're trying to pack these games in as much as they can. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And... You know, the crazy thing to me is that, and and this is just, you know, something to keep an eye on as far as the way these series go, but, um, you know, Saturday, Sunday are back-to-back. So you're going to get potentially four games Saturday, four games Sunday, if we have games, uh, you know, three and four in all, the, or, you know, four and five in these series. And by the way, the way, the, uh, the way they've worked it out for baseball is – you will play game five the, the day after game four, and you will travel back to the other venue for game five. Ooh, so what man. I mean is, as an example, if Atlanta plays Philly in game four in Philadelphia on Saturday afternoon, then guess what? They will then play Sunday afternoon in Atlanta. So they will have to fly from Philly to Atlanta. Uh, same thing with San Diego. You go from San Diego to Los Angeles and uh, Cleveland back to New York, Seattle back to Houston. That's brutal right there. I mean, no rest in terms of uh, of anything for these uh, players. I think there's only one rest day, from what I'm looking at, for these five-game series, only one rest day per series. Uh, Tomorrow you'll have the AL uh, have their rest day, and then you know later on in the week you'll have the NL have their rest day. No, it's weird the way it works. So uh, the NL gets a rest day potentially on Thursday. So the NL plays Tuesday, thir- uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The AL plays Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. I don't know how it worked out like that, but the AL yeah. actually gets – Two rest days, the National League gets one. Yeah, they got stiffed on this. Now that I'm looking at it right here, the AL gets a little bit of breathing room and the NL doesn't. Just weird scheduling. I mean, who's doing this right here, Steve? I don't understand it whatsoever. Uh, I think they should have done, uh, you know, they should have spread this out within two weeks, no doubt about it, yeah. uh, to give this, you know, give these teams some rest, at least a day off in between, or at least uh, even it up on both sides with the NL AL. 100% right. All right I'm going to, uh, apparently, I'm confusing Lou Romano. Um, I apologize. I, I will. I will clarify how these games are going to work. I'll give you the schedule in a moment. Thirty-three past the hour. Sports talk continues. But first, let's go to Adrian and get this Sports Center update. Much. So once again, um, I am a little confused about how things work as far as the divisional series go in terms of rest days. I don't understand why the National League has one rest day and the American League has two. It, it, it is confusing. But I'll say this, okay? So here's how this works. Say you're the Yankees, right? Say you're Lou Romano and you're a Yankees fan. And they pitch Garrett Cole here in game one. And they want to throw him again in game five. The Yankees and Guardians game five is scheduled for Monday, okay? Monday, which means you get a full five days rest between Tuesday and and Sunday and and, uh, next Monday. The National League game five series will be played Sunday. 
So you get four days rest. So I don't understand. I don't get how, um, if you're baseball, how do you not have every game five scheduled on the same day so that both teams have the same number of rest days to go between games one and game five. Yeah, total competitive disadvantage right here. Major League Baseball did not think this through when they were uh, developing the scheduling for this. Uh, I'm really shocked. Because I mean, I'm really surprised because I would have thought that it, with the expanded playoffs, with just a five-team uh, or a five-game uh, divisional round, you would have things down and you'd give everybody equal rest time, especially going into a seven-game series in the next round. What what happened here, Major League Baseball? I don't get it. I don't either. I don't. I'm not really sure why uh, that'd be the case. Why do you give the Yankees and Guardians the extra day instead of uh, doing that for the the National League games? So it doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. You want to know why? Because they want to start the National League Championship Series Tuesday, October 18th. That's why. So because they want to start it on Tuesday, they have to give the winning team on Saturday, if there's a Game 5, at least one day of rest and travel before the Tuesday series starts. And then the American League Championship Series gets underway on Wednesday. All right, that makes a little bit more sense. But still, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at this right now, and I'm just thinking to myself, I get it. You have to plan in advance, but why not space it out a little bit and give yourself some breathing room instead of having to pack everything in as far as the scheduling goes? Yes, exactly right. Exactly right. Because the National League plays today and tomorrow. They get Thursday off. Then they have to play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And if they play Sunday, they're traveling from wherever they were Saturday to a game to the other venue on Sunday. So they got to they got to travel and play consecutive nights. The American League goes Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then they will start Wednesday. And my question is, um, you know, why could they have not um, just played all four games? on the same day and given nobody really the extra rest day. But I guess they wanted to do they wanted to make sure that a team got a day off. And you and you don't want to you don't want to have a day with no baseball. True. I mean maybe you can only do that when it comes to things like Monday night football or trying to schedule around Sunday night football, stuff like that. But even then you still want to have continuous baseball action every single day. You don't you're not really caring about other sports uh I'm with you. at, at a too at too much, you know. So I, I get it. I understand why they did it this way. I think you could have rest days in between where no baseball is played and uh frankly a lot of eyes are not focused on major league baseball playoffs like Sunday, Monday. That could have been the the way that they structured this around or scheduled all this around there is just uh, the fact is the national league is getting the sh- is getting the short end of the stick on this one they really big are time, big time so but the also uh the truth is is that let's say you're the uh i'll just use this as an example let's say you're the padres and you're the dodgers right um the padres are going with mike clevenger tonight against uh julio urias chances are if there's a fifth game on sunday Mike Clevenger will not be starting for the Padres. So, or Urias might, because he's the Dodgers' best pitcher. But Clevenger, I don't know if you're going to throw him on four days rest. If you do, you're going to throw the kitchen sink at the Dodgers because you you realize that 
you know, you need as many arms as possible to try to get past uh, L.A. in that series, if it was even to go a possible five. Yeah, I mean, tomorrow, Kershaw, Darvish on the mound. Of course, we don't expect them, but we also uh, wonder, when will they be available for the next potential series? That's one of the things that I have in my mind. But you're right. I mean, it, it kind of makes managers really think about who they throw out there, especially that first day. That will really dictate how, how everything will go, because if you're able to steal one or uh, vice versa, if you drop one, then your whole game plan changes for the rest of the series. I mean, the Padres have a legitimate five starters because they've got Musgrove, Darvish, Snell, Manea, and Clevenger. And I mean, I don't Musgrove even know. Musgrove just uh, went through the mud himself. Right? Yeah, he did. He absolutely did. But they've got five pitchers. So, and there is five games. So you have the potential of, you know, using all five of those starters during this Dodger series. You really do. You might not need a four-man rotation. You might be able to throw all five guys, which they probably will, at the Dodgers. Now, the Dodgers have Urias, Kershaw, Tyler Anderson, Tony Gonsolin, and Andrew Haney. I give the advantage to the Padres in pitching. I do. Yeah, I do too. Because if you're able to continue, I mean, have what Joe Musgrove for maybe the game three, game four, I mean, gosh, that's really solid knowing that you're going to have you, Darvish, and Mike Clevenger start things off for you for the Padres. And uh, sprinkled in between, Sean Manea, who can who could do some stuff, and same with Blake Snell. Yep. I mean, why not? Like, I, I think it's all about having short leashes, having the right management when it comes to your pitching. Uh, and, you know, if uh, things go south, hit, hit be, uh, be aggressive to change out your pitcher right away. Way. I mean, you could pitch Snell Friday. You could pitch, um, you know, also um, Musgrove on Saturday. Yeah, it's true for a and potential. Then you've got, and then you got, and then you've got Clevenger and Manet on Sunday if necessary. Yeah, I really like the idea for Musgrove on Saturday potentially because that could be uh, a key game either way. Like it could be that that winner take all type of game if the Padres are up, or it could be a potential saving game for Musgrove trying to get bounce back. And you could also go back to Darvish on three days rest if necessary in another inning or two on Sunday if necessary. Yeah, that's right. That's ample rest time from Wednesday to uh, to Sunday for, for an inning for or two. Dar- yeah, yeah, for Darvish. I mean, you're not yeah. going to be pitching. You're not going to be throwing Darvish for five or six innings. But right. if you need him in a pinch, he might be there for you. And that's uh, that's very good to know right there. If if you're the Padres, yeah. Forty two passed as we continue here on Sports Talk. We'll come back. We'll wrap up hour one of three. So much more to talk about. Last night, Monday night football. Whoa, we got Where do we start with this one? We'll dig into that next right here on six hundred ESPN El Paso. Back on Sports Talk as we continue. Nine in front of five right now. Along with Adrian Broaddus, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. 505-6009, that is our telephone number. Checking the tweets. Neff Poppy, MLB thought Braves and Dodgers would sweep. LOL. Chad Middleton, uh, you need to give Lou Romano a graphic. Uh, that's hilarious. Uh, I think I think Lou's now he's, he's getting it. He is. It's just confusing. It really is. You think to yourself, how could baseball do that? How do they give the American League an extra day off? It's funny. Yeah, maybe we do need a graphic. Maybe for our sake, Steve, because I'm going to forget this like tomorrow. I'm already going to forget how many rest days everybody gets and all that kind of stuff. It's very confusing. Meanwhile, um, Andres Munoz gave up a single with two outs. He's got Trey Mancini in a 2-2 count, top eight, Runner on first, 7-5 right now. Mariners lead the Astros, and he just struck him out on a 91-mile-an-hour slider. Man, he's pitching nice, Steve. I love it. Throwing 102-mile-an-hour gas out there. 
Man, that's... Former Chihuahua, Andres Munoz, who went... Oh, by the way, he has already been under the knife. Tommy John surgery two years ago. He's back to throwing 102 miles an hour for the Mariners. He was uh, a large part of their rally against Toronto uh, this past weekend. So uh, he was one of the uh, the main components of their uh, pitching staff that really helped them out in that win. So, yeah, I'm not surprised to see him have success, but he's just throwing heat left and right. He is throwing heat left and right. I totally agree with you on that one. Uh, how do we describe what we watched last night between Kansas City and the Vegas Raiders for Monday Night Football? Uh, Raiders had a 17-0 lead. They blew the lead, blew the game, yet had a chance to kick an extra point with four minutes left to go that would have tied the game. Instead, Josh McDaniels went for two, um, and his star running back, Josh Jacobs, was just shy of the goal line. So instead of being tied or taking the lead with the two-point conversion, uh, the Raiders fall short. They lose by a point. Now let me say this chatting with uh, and texting with a buddy of mine who's a huge Raiders fan. Huge Raiders fan. And it's not Cody Decker. And um, I I talked about that two-point call. And he said, I liked that call, play to win, with an exclamation mark. Now, he's older than I am, which means he's been watching Raider football since the 60s and 70s. And he said, play to win, which, by the way, they did. They just fell short uh, on that. But the question is, do you play to win with four minutes left? Because the way it worked out, they would have gotten the ball back. They held Kansas City and had the opportunity to uh, to get the ball back instead of, you know, and being tied where a field goal could have won the game instead of having to try and, uh, you know, drive down the field because you're down by a point. You know you're going to lose the game. You know that yeah. Yesterday's game and, and the clock management stuff. The you know the playoff the the penalty stuff was really what uh, I, I guess led the sh- the game for me. I, I thought that. Christian Jones tackle that was a roughing the passer on Derek Carr, which should have been a strip sack turnover in favor of Kansas City. Instead, it's called for roughing the passer, one of the worst calls. I, I thought the Brady call was bad. Yeah. I thought that one was terrible. This one was way worse, and, and I'm talking about like 10 times worse. Well, they've got a problem. The NFL's got a roughing the passer problem. Yeah, and, and the NFL has a concussion problem, too, with the protocols they that they they were, were fan, the phantom protocols and all that kind of stuff, but that's another story. For the roughing the passer penalty, I I felt like the Raiders or the refs had to give up makeup calls left and right to the Chiefs to try to make up from that horrible, horrible call. I want to talk about that. I want to also talk about what Devontae Adams did in that situation and get your thoughts on uh, on, on who's in the wrong here for that one. 505-6009. we got a ton more to talk about over the next two hours, and we'll keep an eye on it if the Astros can come back in the ninth against the Mariners. It's all coming up here, 600 ESPN El Paso and Sports Talk. Start of hour number two here on Sports Talk. Welcome back. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Astros are in their final at-bats. Ninth inning just got started. They're down 7-5. Paul Sewell is on the mound. He has been very good. 20 of 25 saves, a 2-6-7 ERA, throwing 64 innings. And we will see 72 strikeouts to 17 walks. Trying to shut it down for 
Logan Gilbert, who started this game, pitched five and a third's innings, and is in line for the win. Be, uh, meanwhile, because this is a best uh, of five, and the first out is now recorded, just like that, shortstop uh, to first, six to one to three, and uh, one out now for Sewell here and, and the Mariners in the ninth. Oh, this be so big. I mean, think about this. Best of best uh, three of five, and you win game one. That's a in Houston. That's a huge deal. Huge. Yeah. This is like uh, you know. This is that huge upset that we're looking at. I know that the Phillies beating the Braves that was pretty special that we saw earlier today. But we're talking about the Astros here, a team that was expected to possibly go to the World Series, go up against the Yankees in the AL Championship Series. However, uh, it looks like the Mariners getting the best of them at least in Game One. It, for uh, the Astros, they relinquish a little bit of home field advantage with this loss if they were to lose when it's all said and done. This oh, big. You're right. A big home field advantage that you that you relinquish when you uh, lose uh, one of a f- in a five game series, big one. So now we all know that they might end up just you know winning three in a row, and that's the end of that. But man, this really puts some heat on the Houston Astros. Who won? What did I say? One hundred and six or one hundred and five yeah. regular season games. One hundred and six and fifty six. They're fifty five and twenty six at home. Just telling you how dominant they are at Minute Maid. Uh, yet they're not able to get the first game against Seattle. Maybe Seattle riding a little bit of momentum off that nice uh, two games to nothing series win uh, in the wild card round against the Blue Jays. Now, granted, uh, there's still two outs to go. It's not over yet, and. Seattle's got their bullpen is, I mean, let's put it this way. Seattle wants this game so bad, they are warming up Robbie Ray, who's a starter in their bullpen (laughs) right now. That's how much they want to make sure they win game one. That is how big a deal this, this is when you're dealing with a best of five. Yeah, I, I don't blame them. And for the Astros, who've kind of already mapped out who's going to be starting for them, I mean, it's not it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. But Valdez on the mound next next game, and then McCullers Jr. on the mound possibly on Saturday. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the Astros try to bounce back if they lose this. All right, our phone number, 505-6009. As we get going here uh, in our two of three on the program today, want to hear from you. So, yeah, Astro fans are nervous, to say the least, especially they've got a two-and-two count right now with one out, nobody on in the ninth inning, down two runs. So I could see why the nerves are uh, at a a high right now in H-Town, just not expecting this one bit. All right, uh, we want to talk more baseball, so let's get right to it. Richard's uh, joining us next on the phone lines. The Sports Talk continues. Richard, what's going on? How are you? Hey, what's going on, Steve? Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, I guess what is El Paso, the de facto Dodger, I guess, uh, nation here in, in Texas. So just want to actually think, I think I actually believe the Padres have a chance to beat the Dodgers, man, in five. That's what I'm going to go on the line and say that tonight. What do you think? Are you a Dodger fan or a Padre fan? Actually, I'm neither, man. I just, uh, I just not a real big fan of the Dodgers, so I'm really going to be rooting for the Padres, more so because of the Chihuahuas, but also just especially just because of... Uh, I just want to see, I, and like I said, I'm not a big fan of the Dodgers, especially winning a World Series. Uh, uh, what is it? The last time they won the World Series was only 60 games. wasn't a really true World Series that didn't go the full season. So wow. let's see if these guys get a chance to pull it off this year. But Sp- I'll say this for the Padres today. Speaking of 60 games, the Dodgers finished 
60 games over 500. Think about that yep. for a minute. 111 wins, 51 losses, an all-time franchise record for most wins in a season. That no, without a doubt. is phenomenal. Without a doubt. And yeah, without a doubt, like I said, that, that is that is awesome. Like I said, that is something to hold to hold there, but I just don't know, man. I just don't think. I think they got too much to – they got it. I mean, they have the pressure. Everyone's thinking they're going to win. I honestly believe I'd like the Padres to get in. I was kind of I was kind of surprised the Padres got in after all, but the way they played against the Mets, I really honestly believe they got something good to, to give, them, give them a run for their money. I think the, I don't know what the series was between the Padres and the Dodgers all season long, but I think it's going to come down to basically that rivalry, NLS, and I think that's going to be the better man that comes out there. I'm not saying they're actually going to win. The Padres will win the World Series, but I think they will give the Dodgers a run for their money. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Padres won 89 games this year. The Dodgers, we said 111. Um, the Dodgers scored a, 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 just a ridiculous amount of runs, 847 runs this season, which is just yep. uh, mind-boggling when you start to really break that down. Um, but, you. you know, if you – let's put it this way. Anything short of a World Series title for the Dodgers – is a mm-hmm. massive disappointment given what they did exactly. during the regular season. Okay, and you, so. just, and you just hit it right there. That's exactly it. It's, they got all the pressure, and if they don't win, ooh, it's going to be a long off season, especially in my household. So uh, it is. Let's see what happens. Might be eating meatloaf the rest of the, <laughs> the rest of the fall, but uh, let's see what happens, man. Thanks a lot, Steve. Take care. All right, great job. Thanks for the phone call, Richard. Appreciate you getting in. Yeah, I don't care if the Dodgers lose to the Padres, they lose to the Phillies or the Braves, or they lose to whoever in the American League. Anything less than a World Series title is a disappointment if you are a Dodger fan given their regular season. No doubt about it, Steve. Uh, one thing I will say about this series going into this, I uh, just looked it up, San Diego went 5-14. and 14. That was their record against the Dodgers this year, including they went 3-9. and nine. They only won three games after the trade deadline against the Dodgers, and of course that's when they acquired Juan Soto. Uh, just two numbers to look at going into this one. Although, uh, hey, throw out the records because San Diego, uh, their talent, it's proven that they can hang with anybody. The best of them. You're right. Now you got Altuve up with a runner on first. Hensley got like, like it was weird, man. Braised. It was a 3 2 pitch where the ball looked like it grazed his jersey, not his body. But anyway, he's on first base. It would have been either a walk or a hit by pitch. Wouldn't have mattered. So he's on at first. Altuve's uh, right now batting 1 2 count um, with one out in the ninth inning. So you got the top of the order up. One and two on Altuve with one out, runner on first, and he just struck out swinging. A huge K for Seattle. A huge K. That is uh, a monster. So now the Astros are down to their final strike, and they are showing fans their head is uh, covered right now in, in um, you know towels, the rally towel. Uh, Astro fans can't even look after uh, what's going on. And by the way, the last hope right now for Houston in this game is Jeremy Pena, who is 0 for 4. So you got Pena followed by Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman. The Astros just have to figure out a way to get to uh, Jordan Alvarez. That's the key here.
Yeah, exactly. And Pena, I mean, even though he's over four, he's shown this year that he can he can provide some sparks. Uh, I I will say this: he's somebody who strikes out a lot. And uh, for Seawald, man, what a nice pitch he had there, Steve. I I'm just uh, amazed by just this finish right here for Seattle. Well, and the question is, can Seattle um, get? you know, get out of this before they have to get Jordan Alvarez up. You do not want Jordan Alvarez up potentially with the game-winning run. And, man, oh, man, I don't think it's going to matter because Pena is just waving at pitches. And he's, and, and the Astros are now down to their last strike. And the way this at-bat is looking, um, it, it's really looking good for Seattle because uh, Pena just does not look comfortable at all up, up at the plate. Yeah, I don't know about your strategy, Steve, but mine is just get on base. Like, I mean, uh, really try to take the pitches for what they are. Don't try to swing at everything, but just try to get on base if, if you're Pena. Well, that's the key. He's 0 for 4 so far today, and he's about to be 0 for 5 if uh, he doesn't figure out a way to uh, make better contact and, and swing at a better pitch. But I'll say this. Give Seattle credit if they could survive this because uh, Sewell said he, he would have basically been able to get on back-to-back outs Altuve and Pena top of the order. That's huge when you think about it. Yeah, that's that. That is huge, and uh, I mean for Seattle, I know that they don't want to risk anything. I know that they've got Robbie Ray warming up, but uh, throw SeaWorld out there and see what he could do here in these uh, this this last little bit. Oh my God, Pena just lined a base hit with two strikes right up to the uh, to, to oh, up the middle. It's a game. So now, got a game. so now you have Jordan Alvarez coming up, the potential game winning run with two outs in the ninth. So here's my question. Do you leave him in, or do you take him out and put in Robbie Ray? Take him out and just uh, just get one one out with Robbie Ray. It's just one out. I, that's what I would do right here. What would you do? Well, I mean, let's put it this way. Uh, Jordan Alvarez is a left-handed batter. Robbie Ray is a left-handed pitcher. I would go lefty-lefty matchup on that one. I, and it looks like that's exactly what they're going to end up doing to try to get this uh, to get this out of the way. And get this done. So let's see. By the way, Jordan Alvarez so far this season against lefties, okay? Just uh, against lefties, 321, 10 home runs, 33 RBIs. He's He hits lefties as good as he hits righties. Yeah, and and look at what he's doing today so far. Two for four, a double, two RBIs, and a run scored as well. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, he's had a great game. Let's see if he can capitalize on this one and make it a, a, a really, really good finish. It's going to come down to Robbie Ray against yeah. Jordan Alvarez. That's all you could ask for if you're a baseball fan right now, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. This is awesome. I love it. And for Robbie Ray, let, let's see what he can do. Just one big uh, pitch right here. Oh, that's right. That is absolutely right. This is phenomenal stuff. This is great stuff, folks. It's all you can ask for as a baseball fan. I'm telling you, playoff baseball is fun. And and one thing I'll say about a game of seven, a game of five, every game matters more than ever now. Game seven game series, you can afford to lose one, maybe even two, and still climb back in. But game five series, man, every game is precious, especially your home games. Yeah, it seems like every pitch matters. Every inning matters. And these ninth innings matter, too, because you're seeing in late-game situations, teams try to rally back. It doesn't matter how far they're trailing. It's teams trying to rally back like the Braves did earlier today in scoring three runs in the bottom of the ninth. Let's see what the Astros can do to try to rally back in this one. Uh, they were down big. They were down at 1.7-2, to and they've inched their way back into some contention late in this game. By the way, Robbie Ray started against Toronto three days ago. And was hit hard. So that's a good point also. That's pretty wild when you start to think about it. 
hit hard. And, man, that's Scott Service. That's a tough, that is a tough, tough go. And all I can tell you is, uh, it, this is this is fun. This is, to me, what it's all about. This is playoff baseball at its finest. It yeah, really is. Se- Severus is going to have to live and die with whatever happens here with Robbie Ray. If, if they have success, if he gets out of it, Severus is going to look like the man. Uh, but on the other end, if he fails and, and he allows these runs to go through and mm. Houston ends up winning, then this will be uh, mm. a very questionable decision. Here is what Robbie Ray has done against the Astros so far this season. 10.2 innings pitched, so 10 and two-thirds, 23 hits, 14 runs. That, that scares me, Steve. I, you know, yeah. It's almost like you keep your closer in, right? <laughs> you might, I don't know. Numbers don't lie right there. Well, we'll find out what happens. We'll let you know when we come back. Wild drama in H-Town right now. Ninth inning, two outs, first and second. And the Mariners clinging to a 7-5 lead over the Astros. We'll talk about uh, what goes on right after we say hello to Charlie. One, who's back with his traffic update. And terrific power. It's already hit an absolute screamer to right. Here's the pitch. Swing and there's a drive. Sucked to right. Back it goes. And that's a walk-off shot. A walk-off shot. Jordan Alvarez has done it with a three-run blast in the bottom of the ninth. And Houston pulls it out 8-7. to seven. Holy cow. Alvarez with a game winner. He finally reaches home plate, and they are mobbing him, jumping up and down. And the building goes nuts here in Houston. The Astros win a thriller 8-7. to seven. And in a game where the Astros basically were down the entire game four runs, it wasn't until the eighth inning with a home run against Alex Bregman showing that postseason experience. And the one man that you want at the plate, Jordan Alvarez, your offensive star, who maybe didn't make the best plays in the outfield. Who cares about that right now? The first time that the 42,000 strong here at Minute Maid Park get to celebrate. In October... That's the time for your stars to shine the brightest. Guys like Alvarez, that's when they hit center stage and absolutely destroyed a three-run homer off of Robbie Ray to walk it off. And the Astros, who had been chasing all afternoon, can celebrate a game one victory. How sweet it is. Alvarez with a three-run walk-off homer. With two down in the bottom of the ninth inning. Dave O'Brien, Marley Rivera, that call just moments ago on ESPN Radio during our break. Can you believe it? 8-7 the final. We were talking about this. All the Astros wanted was to get Jordan Alvarez up, give them a chance, and man, does it pay off as he tattooed that uh, Robbie Ray pitch. Over the right field wall, well uh, deep, and just like that, the Astros somehow pull out game one. I can't believe it, Steve. I thought that game was over. It goes all the way back to that grazed pitch that uh, that Seawald threw uh, as the as the closing pitcher for the Mariners. This game was over. The Mariners had it in the bag, and Jordan Alvarez steps up to the plate with Robbie Ray checking in, and uh, he goes yard, and he just absolutely crushed that first pitch of his at-bat. Steve, it wasn't even close for him, or second pitch. Yeah, it was amazing. He just, and by the way, we told you the stat before we went to break, that 
Robbie Ray had given up 24 hits and 14 runs in 10 innings against the Astros so far this season. He was just, he has been awful. And I know you needed just one out, but man, that's, that is the kind of decision that Mariner fans will be second guessing, especially if they lose this series and potentially lose the next couple games and they get swept. Oh, that's one you got to have. Absolutely. And, and think about this. The Mariners did, you know, the same thing to Toronto in the first series that the Astros did to them here. Yeah, I mean, you threw the you threw the kitchen sink at the Astros in this game, but it did not pay off. It wasn't the right move there. Uh, it's always going to be revisionist history. Uh, you figure lefty on lefty analytics will suggest that any given night, but uh, this is not the night for analytics to do it. Jordan Alvarez, by the way, checking into that at bat, he was two for four uh, with a pair of RBIs in this mm. game and a run scored. So look at how he finishes: three for five and the game ending uh, the the, the walk off home run uh, to seal this one. Absolutely. Wild. Let's go to Rob. He joins us next, 26 past the hour, as we continue here on Sports Talk. Hey, Rob, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Steve, thanks for taking my call. Sure thing, Rob. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the 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 Padres. I've I've been a big fan for a couple of years. Uh, I'm pretty excited tonight, but I, I feel like uh, their only shot their only shot in the series, I think, is they have to steal today because I'm, I'm not a big fan of of, of Clevenger, but. If you could somehow manage to steal one with him, uh, you get Darvish now and and Musgrove, who's who's been on fire. And the the their top three hitters have have been pretty good all year. But I think what separated them in the Mets series was was the rest of the guys like uh, Grisham and Kim, guys that really hadn't had been real inconsistent all year. But yep. I mean, if 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 the Padres can't steal one today, I just can't see them going night overnight with the Dodgers. I just feel like the Dodgers from top to bottom just have so much bats. It's ridiculous. Um, this would have been a series, I think, had Tati's not gotten suspended. But uh, I just don't think the, the Padres do have a lot of bats. They just The Dodgers might have one or two more um, every night. And I, I don't think anyone beats the Dodgers. And then as far as the AL, I probably have to pick – Houston, only because I think Houston owns the Yankees, and that would be my pick. Um, but other than that, I just hope uh, I hope I hope that the Padres pull it off because I, I don't want to see the Dodgers again in the World Series. Well, but, uh, I'll, I'll say this: I think the Do- I think the Padres have a chance, even though the Dodgers own them during the regular season, just because I believe that despite Manea struggling a little bit down the stretch and Clevenger also, I, I like the top. Three. I still like really when you look at Darvish, Snell, and Musgrove. That's a very, very dangerous top three. Oh yeah, I I loved the other uh, Musgrove the other night. I thought that was kind of petty what the Mets did, but either way, he 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 stuck it to them. Yep. And the Padres and the Padres, uh, you know, won an elimination game uh, in New York, and that was the team people had touted all year that that was going to be the team that could compete with the Dodgers the Mets. So I just hope, I just hope the Padres step it up. Uh, you know, I was a season ticket holder for a couple of years and they were super bad when I was living in San Diego. And you, you know, I, I could count, on, I could count on one hand how many times they won when I went in person. Uh, but it's, it's happy to see that since I've left, they, you know, they've invested in the roster heavily and it's, it's really good to see them, you know, 
just deep in the playoffs, so I just I'm I'm cheering for them. But thanks for taking my call. Appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for the phone call. Thanks for getting in right now. A lot of Air Jordan memes on Twitter after what just went down moments ago. Why not Great Air Jordan? I love it. Great nickname right there. I love that. Um, you know, he's just such a, an exceptional player. This is a reflection of who he is as uh, a standout guy for the Astros and who he's been all year long. To come out in this game, they, this game was over. Yep. They were down 7-5, to five, rally back in the bottom of the ninth, win it 8-7. to seven. What an absolute steal by the Astros. Here's Robert Ford's call, the Houston Astros radio network. The 0-1. And Alvarez belts it deep to right field. Houston goodbye. Unbelievable. The Astros a walk-off win. Jordan Alvarez a walk-off three-run homer. And the Astros stun the Mariners in game one of the division series. Incredible. The house of horrors for the Seattle Mariners continues as they mob Alvarez by home plate. A miraculous comeback for Houston. Astros win it 8-7. to seven. Can you believe it? Wow. I just wish Robert had more energy in the call. That's my only complaint about that call. He was just a little flat, not enough excitement down the stretch of that game-winning home run call. Yeah, he could have preserved a little more for that one. Um, but no, really, I mean, I, I get it. I get the excitement. It's all across the board for all Astros fans who probably thought this one was over. Yep. But everybody was still sitting. Everybody was still watching. And they, they got to witness uh, the uh, you know the amazing comeback and the walk-off homer from Jordan Alvarez. I feel like I'm ready for the baseball playoffs now. that they've Don't you feel like they've officially yes. arrived? Yes. Now we got the great teams in. Uh, we got the big market teams in the mix as well. We got the underdogs who are fighting hard early on. Uh, I'm ready. Baseball playoffs, Yankees coming up next. It is. All right. Speaking of coming up next, here he is, Adrian Broadus. He's got a Sports Center update as uh, we roll along. Middle of the show, 31 passed here as Sports Talk continues. Thank you very much. There's going to be a lot of second guessing on not on taking out Paul Seawald uh, to bring in Robbie Ray. Really, especially when you realize he's your closer. I get it. You want one out. You want to go lefty-lefty matchup. But when your guy's been getting killed by the Astros all season, and Jordan hits lefties as well as he hits righties, you almost want to still keep your closer in there and preserve that matchup. If Unless you've got a guy waiting who owns Jordan Alvarez and, uh, and, and, and owns the Astros, that is such a risky play in Game 1. Yeah, especially Robbie Ray, right? I mean, somebody who's a starter, somebody who has struggled against the Astros uh, and Seawald, it wasn't like he was pitching bad. No, I mean, he but just really allowed just that one single and then hit the pitcher, so he had two runners on. You could almost say that Pena won the Astros the game yep. because he got the two-strike hit when he was looking awful against Seawald that allowed the pitching change and allowed Jordan even to get up there in the first place because when we watched those first two pitches, it looked like uh, Jeremy Pena was was lost at the plate. He was already 0 for 4. He gets that single up the middle and saved the game for the Astros. No doubt about it. And he was, like you said, 0 for 4. He struck out earlier in the game, so you kind of think the strikeout factor is still there. He could have maybe struck out uh, you know, Pena in that in that case right there, but Seawald wasn't able to do so. Singled right to center, I mean, right down the middle to center, and as a result, Jordan Alvarez uh, wa- walks it off for the Astros. Unbelievable. 
All right. Uh, let's switch sports as we continue here on the program, and let's go back to football. We talked about last night's game a little bit and about the Chiefs beating the Raiders. Uh, there's, there's a lot to discuss here. There's the Devontae Adams incident where he pushed the photographer, okay? And and that, that listen, um, you can't possibly look at that and, and say that Adams was was right to do that. Uh, you can. You cannot lose your cool because, again, it was the heat of the battle. I understand that. Um, but you know, even if the guy's blocking your way after the game, you, you just pause for a second. You don't just shove the guy down. You can't You can't do that. So um, that's, that, that's a big one. It really is. Um, at the same time, the photographer who's claiming that, you know, he had to go to the hospital for treatment and ultimately called police. Um, I I don't know. I've seen the replay a bunch of times. I did not see that as something that potentially caused enough bodily harm to go to the hospital and, uh, and, and call the police. Well, he probably just wants to take advantage of the situation. But, I mean, I don't even think that's the case. I mean, that's not the story. I, the, really, the story is uh, Devontae Adams was upset at Hunter Renfro because the two collided on the play before that ended the game. Uh, the Raiders ended up turning the ball over on downs. They had a chance. They had a ton of time left uh, as the game was winding down. Hunter Renfro ran right into Devontae Adams. There would have been a defensive pass interference called. Yep. Had they not collided, there, there could have been a catch and a downfield passing play uh, happen if they not collided. But he was frustrated. He slammed down his helmet right before he pushed that uh, that photographer at the tunnel. But there's no exception to this right here. Could have been a fan. Could have been a, a team personnel or anything like that. There's just no business in shoving somebody down. And, yep. hey, we only found out because it was on camera. That's a good point. Well, those who never would have known. That's exactly right. Now, the question is this. If you're the NFL... Do you discipline Devontae Adams and suspend him a game for his actions afterwards? I mean, the fine is coming. We know the fine will be coming. Should Devontae Adams be suspended for what he did? That's a tough one. I I think that the... um the quick thing right after you watch the video and how egregious it looks, you might say yes. But I, I think it's tough to suspend somebody for an, t- an entire game. I think what you might consider is maybe a half. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a full game. But I think that's that's tough to do when it comes to you know a full game suspension right there. The fine's coming. We know that. But a full game, that, that's uh, that's tough. I guess you're going to have to determine the severity of, of the injury to the photographer, the, the videographer, whatever, uh, and what, what uh, they found out with Devontae Adams pushing him down. He didn't seem that remorseful, though, Steve. I, th- I thought he just apologized to apologize. Well, I, I, I feel like that's the case, too. I, I don't really feel like the apology was something that uh, was, um, you know, he says, I want to apologize to the guy. There was some guy running off the field, and he ran – like jumped in front of me coming off the field, and I bumped into him, kind of pushed him. Now, you didn't kind of push him. You pushed him, okay? There was no there was no bumping or kind of. You pushed him, and that was the thing. So he says, so I wanted to say sorry to him for that because that was just frustration mixed with him literally just running in front of him. Now, I haven't seen the video to know was he there the whole time, or did he accidentally run right accidentally. into the it, it just I'm going to show you. I'm going to send you a, a, a very good angle that uh, SportsCenter tweeted out late last night, and this angle kind of shows. This happens to all videographers and camera guys. Like I can see some of my friends who are working the sidelines, just running back and forth, trying to get to their uh, assignment, do their stuff. 
Devontae Adams clearly pushes him down, and this was totally accidental by the photographer-videographer in my eyes. Yeah, you don't see that the uh, videographer actually went ahead and uh, and purposely jumped into his space on the way out to get the push. So, all right, that's fine. And that's that's also interesting when you note because, uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, simply put, shouldn't have happened. Uh, but it did, and let me see here. So I'm watching him come off. Oh. That was that was an. I mean, it almost looked like um, when you see him come in. Well, first off, the photographer's head was down. He was walking right past uh, Adams, and was his head was. He wasn't even looking at him. Yeah, I think it was a simple case of the photographer was walking across as Adams was walking across. Now you could say this, okay, as a photographer and a working member of the media. You have to keep your head up. You can't keep your head down walking someplace and not have any idea of who's coming near you or who's going with you. Because I think what happened was, just looking at that video, he was looking somewhere else, was not looking anywhere in the line of vision on the way to the tunnel, and it just so happened he happened to walk into Adams during his path, and Adams shoved him right away. Yeah, I'm sure that it's you know it's easier said than done because there's probably a lot of people on the field. There's probably a lot of uh, commotion going on, and and you know from this perspective, what we see, it's not like the camera guy was paparazzi or, or like trying to get a uh, reaction from De- Devonte Adams following a real emotional and frustrating loss. It wasn't like he was trying to capture any kind of footage or anything like that in the tunnel. He was probably trying to get over to what his next assignment was or try to wrap up the night or stuff like that. I'm with you. You got to have more awareness. Just as an individual if you're at a sporting event like this, uh, but there's no reason why he shouldn't have been pushed pushed down. I think that Devontae Adams could have uh, easily saw him, yep. stopped, and then just moved on. Not, oh, and, the, and, the fa- and the fact is and the fact is, there's no remorse from Adams because he never went back to him to apologize right, right. there in the moment, or check him on up. him, or help him see how he was doing. He just walked right ahead. So the truth is, the apology is garbage. And you might see a suspension. You might get a one-game suspension as a result of this. So, you know, football players, hey, it's the heat of the battle. We understand that. But you can't do that. You can't just you can't just knock somebody down who accidentally goes in your path. Yeah, also, you know, NFL uh, Films and Media does a great job of capturing a lot of field audio. You're cur- I'm curious to look because when you look at it from that different a- angle, he kind of stops, and it's almost like Devontae Adams says something to the, p- to the person. Now, you'd wonder if he says, hey, I'm sorry, my bad, or if he says something really bad like, hey, get out of my way or, or uses a- an expletive right there. That's true. Now, we've got a lot of members of the media that listen to this show. A lot of photographers listen to this show. I could think of about three of them that call in or ch- or tweet in on a regular basis. If you were that person, um, you know, and that happened, you tell me, would you uh, would you want that player suspended for it? Um, what do you think? That's the question. 505-6009, that's our telephone number. Also, uh, you could tweet the show at 600 ESPN El Paso or chat with us on our mobile app brought to you by First National Bank. Three ways to get right on in and through to the program. Again, 505-6009, ES El Paso, or the mobile app. Back with more as we continue. Back here on Sports Talk as we continue. 49 past the hour. Pinky uh, with a message on the app. No horse in this year's MLB postseason. Just going to enjoy. There you go. It's one way to do it. I'm with you on that one. I would. I feel the same way. 
just enjoy. Because that's exactly what's coming uh, coming around. So, um, I'll say this. I've been enjoying things too. And enjoying the uh, drama. Oh, nothing better than what happened just a few moments ago. That's for sure. Uh, we were talking NFL during the break. Talking about uh, the Devontae Adams situation. Would you suspend him for his actions? Fine him? Not discipline him at all? By the way, the um, the photographer got right up after he was pushed down. How that warranted a trip to the hospital? I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering that one uh, a little bit too. I saw the push. I mean, I get it. You know, guys have been knocked down harder during NFL games when they're on the sidelines, and sometimes a player goes into them on the sidelines and they hit the deck. I've seen that too. So I'm not saying that, uh, you know, the the guy didn't hurt himself, but to say that uh, he took his own transportation to the hospital and is now uh, filing a police report, that one does seem, uh, to me, a, a little fishy right now. Yeah, it does. It, for me as well. And, I mean, I guess we don't know the full extent of his injuries. Who knows? But uh, I will say this. If it were me who got shoved down like that and I popped right back up, uh, all I would need is a signed jersey from Devontae Adams. And I'm good. That's it, huh? <laughs> yeah. that's, that's all you need. Uh, yeah, and then uh, the fine and all that kind of stuff, I just feel bad at that point. I'd be like, yeah, I probably was careless at that point. Just give me a gamer, autograph <laughs> it, and I'll put it up on the wall, and that'd be that give me a gamer for both teams Packers and Raiders mm, now you're really getting there okay you're, you're trying to uh try to get a little extra from Devontae I understand that. yeah or or uh pay my hospital bills and stuff like that <laughs> and all that <laughs> or my pay uh, my police uh you know everything that I submitted to the police that's true by the way uh, hospital bills are expensive so if the guy if the guy actually went to, to the hospital uh, I'm sure that wasn't a uh that wasn't a cheap visit hospital visits in in general probably cost you you know a couple hundred to a couple thousand bucks depending on what they do for you yeah i'm not trying to stereotype either but it's uh, if he's a photographer it's not like he might have the best insurance I'm oh, sorry I'm sorry sorry that's, that's, hey we're all in the media here hey man you're going after you hey a lot of those guys are contract labor yeah that's even worse right there they're not even on the the you know insurance uh, payroll and all that kind of stuff they gotta buy their own insurance is what they have yeah. to do so i'm with you on that one anyway uh, as we continue, by the way, um, the NFL has to do something about these pass interference calls. They have to, or not pass interference. I'm sorry, roughing the passer is the uh, is the is is the issue at hand right now. Um, between what happened to Brady and what happened uh, with Carr, it just seems like you know the NFL they got a real problem because the definition of the rule essentially makes it where you want you know you want to make sure that the defense doesn't touch him or don't even give him a kiss because we could have a problem I don't understand what Chris Jones is supposed to do yesterday when he's hitting Derek Carr uh, from the side and he's also strip sacking him for the fumble recovery. Like, what is he supposed to do instead of lie on him for br- a brief moment? It's not like he's standing, uh, lying there forever and hurting Derek Carr by any means. Uh, and then the refs started trying to make it up the rest of the game. The, they, the refs completely lost control of last night's game. That was my biggest issue with it. Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. He's always going to be so much fun to watch, especially when it's a primetime type of game. 
game. Uh, he's excellent when it comes to red zone offense. I still believe he's the best quarterback in the NFL, bar none. But I, I agree. But, I, uh, but what I have issues with is when the refs are giving the Chiefs every single call going their way that, for, you know, hey, you speak about Devontae Adams. How about that catch? That was also pretty questionable. Uh, a lot of Raider fans suggested that he had two feet in, in bounds uh, and that he should have caught that one. I think it was earlier in that drive that we're talking about where he. Uh, but I thought he juggled it. Like, he did have yeah. two feet in bounds, okay? I thought Devontae, that was never the question. I just didn't think that he had control of the football while he got both feet down. I thought that he, by the time he secured the ball, he was already out of bounds. But the feet were there. I just felt that he was still juggling the ball and hadn't secured it yet. Yeah, I, I see where you're going with that one. I just feel like uh, there were Raider fans who out, yep. were out there. I, I didn't uh, think it was a catch either. I thought it was incompletion, but there was a ton of Raider fans all over social media complaining about the refs. Rightfully so, because if you get a, a call really bad like that, roughing the passer, that's where it starts. That's where the problem right there. I wonder if the Raiders are happy. With, are Raider fans happy with McDaniel's call with four minutes left to go in the game? Oh, man. They, they shouldn't be. Come on, man. McDaniel's just you, – you're playing so well in that game. Go to overtime. Try to try to beat out the – and there's also a ton of time left. They probably could have gotten the ball back and then kicked a field goal. Yeah, but you have to realize the Chiefs outscored the Raiders 20-9 uh, to in the second half, and that was the thing. It's like, uh, I don't know. I, I get what you're saying. They were playing well for most of that game, but it's tough, especially when you know that Chiefs do have the momentum in the second half. So I, I see both sides, but clearly you, you look at it now because it failed and you want to criticize because it's easy to do. But if McDaniels gets a two-point conversion, they get it, and then they win, he's a genius. So, you know, that's, 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 the, that's the, the beauty of a gutsy, of gutsy call. You're either a genius or an idiot, depending on what happens. If I was McDaniels, I would just be looking at my record. I can't, I can't go one and five if I'm Josh McDaniels to start out the year and hope to make the playoffs. Like, what, what position does he put this team in now? Yeah, no, I hear you. All right, hey, uh, two hours in the books. When we come back, one more big hour to go. We'll update you on the Yanks and the Guardians. That's going on right now. Former Chihuahua Cal Quantrill on the bump for Cleveland. And we'll talk more about it as we continue right here with Sports Talk and 600 TSPN El Paso. Third and final hour of Sports Talk. Welcome back, everybody. He's Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplow. It's coming your way right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. Our telephone number is 505-6009. Get you right on in and through to the program. 505-6009. You can tweet the show. 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. That is 600 ESPN El Paso on Twitter. Or message us on our free mobile app powered by First National Bank. So easy to get in, and we'd love to have you on the show. I have an article coming up here pretty soon on uh, UTEP men's basketball going to Eastwood High. Love that for the Miners. Love that for Eastwood. Love that for you. How great is it that you can actually watch the Miners at a high school gym workout? And I hope UTEP does this every year, and every year they pick a different high school gym to do it. 
No doubt about it. I feel like this is just a, a no-brainer. Uh, this does so much to connect with the city of El Paso and just bring the UTEP basketball brand outside and, and just to get out there in the community. I think this is uh, a really cool thing. I mean, we talked to Austin Cox yesterday from the men's basketball team about this, and uh, I, I asked him about just uh, the importance of connecting with the community at this level, and uh, he was saying, you know, w- within the pipeline connection that they have with their three players who have local ties here, mm-hmm. Garrett Levesque, of course, Antoine Holmes from Chapin, Levesque being from Coronado, and Zerko Niema, who grew up here as a military kid. Uh, that That's really cool to see them go out in the city of El Paso and play at one of the premier gyms here. Go to the east side, play at Eastwood, uh, and, and play at one of the best gyms you're going to find. I think that's that's the beauty of it. Now, granted, they are at the you know the Cadillac of gyms. You could say Eastwood and Bel Air are number one and number two in the city. Um, but I think it should go everywhere, play everywhere. And some of the older gyms, and, and if, they, if they make this uh, an annual event, they can just pick a gym uh, in different parts of town every year and do it. Maybe one year they go to Coronado or Franklin or Montwood or Chapin or, Bur- or Bowie or Austin and Burgess. And, and then you go northeast and you do Parkland one year. I mean, why not? Make it something cool where they just go all over the town and, and just go from from place to from high school to high school every year. Yeah, and also why not go to the, the county schools as well? I mean, head yep. out to Clint, head out to uh, uh, go way out there to Fabens, why go not? out to Canutillo, all that I think that'd be fun like just to just to really get out there in the community uh you know Joe Golden could sell a product to anybody as far as his basketball teams go and now you get 10 new faces on this program it actually behooves the uh, the men's basketball team to do something like this to let the fans know all these different players that are on the team and don't just limit it to um El Paso Santa Teresa high would be nice that's that's right around the corner here in El Paso anyway and you got a ton of El Pasoans who live in Santa Teresa let's let's do that too while we're at it I like this I think that they could take the the practice uh you know pr- take the practice on the road mm-hmm. travel across as long as the the venues the facilities uh you know suffice take it take the players around have them sign autographs after the game meet meet fans that's what uh college basketball is all about and just con- connecting with the community which was so big to Joe Golding when he first got here totally agree with you on this totally agree and i hope uh, that's exactly what happens but thursday night 6:30 it's free and it's happening at eastwood great way for you as a fan to get involved and I hope fans do get involved. And then you got Doc Sadler coming later on with his dinner with the Miners event. You've got the sellout game with um, New Mexico State. You've got the two close, uh, you know, close scrimmages with Tarleton State and Texas Tech. I mean, basketball's here too now. It's funny we've we're seven games into the UTEP football season. We haven't even started talking UTEP hoops yet, and that's here before you know it. Yeah, seriously, and I know we last week uh, listeners got a chance to listen to Shamar Givens and Jonathan Dos Anjos, uh, but I, I want to see, I want to meet all these players. I want to have all of them in studio, Steve, and, and talk to them about what, what it's like to uh, be a part of this team because so many new faces. The way that we look at this program right now is going to be completely different of how we look at them in February and March. How was Givens and Dos Anjos? You did, that was on yeah. uh, on Yom Kippur last week, so I was not able to uh, to be part of that. How did it go? Very well. Uh, you know, both uh, Shamar He's he uh, exemplifies a lot of great leadership skills, so you can see he's been around. I mean, he's he's been through highs and lows. He's seen the best parts of Evansville, where they beat out a team like Kentucky in the NCAA tournament. But he also was a part of a lot of losing programs over there. So I think uh, by coming over here to UTEP, playing with better talent, just from top to bottom, that's going to really help him grow as a player. And then uh, it's just interesting to note that both Givens and Anjos uh, Dos Anjos, both of them are international players. They're you know you have uh, the Canada 
of the ties from Shamar. And then with John, you get the ties from Brazil. So really cool to note that uh, they're here in El Paso and uh, they've they've bounced around uh, quite a bit from their international ties. I love that. I think that's great. And yeah, we are going to work on getting all the uh, members of the team on. There's so many new players. We, we've, we've Zoomed with them, but we haven't had them in person. This is the idea and, and get them here with us. We're a little busy this week because of ba- uh, baseball playoff games and our normal workload of guests that are scheduled. But we'll see what we can do uh, here in the upcoming uh, days and weeks uh, for the UTEP men's basketball season. Yeah, and you mentioned those close scrimmage games, Steve. Those are those fascinate me really big uh, in a big way as well. I mean, eleven days away from their first scrimmage here in El Paso against Billy Gillespie and Tarleton State. Sign me up. I, I want to find a way to get in the rafters and watch that. And then a week later, they've got Texas Tech. Yeah, on the road, a, a really great program with uh, Adams over there as the head coach with the uh, Red Raiders. I mean, gosh, that, that's an uh, awesome t- uh, task for the Miners to try to go up against as they try to prepare for Texas to start off the season. I'll call Billy and see if he could stop by on Friday before the game Saturday. Maybe if he'll be in town with Tarleton on Friday, he can drop in for a little while and talk to us. Oh, man. That would be amazing, just uh, reliving all the great stories. Oh, my. You know you know what would happen. It's exactly what would be the case. So we'll see. We'll see if we can uh, if we can arrange Let's that. Let's manifest it. He's coming on. He's doing it. All right. Um, I, you know what? You said it. It's happening. All right. We'll work on that. Uh, that'll be a week from Friday if we can uh, pull that off. Or when we pull that off. How's that? Better? Yeah, I like it. I like you it. You don't like the <laughs> if. You like the when. When we pull this off. When we have this great interview. I got you. Yankees right now are still scoreless. They're getting ready to bat in the bottom of the second uh, against the Guardians. All right. Um. Let's talk, let's talk about the Cowboys for a minute, all right? We didn't really do much of this yesterday because we spent most of the time talking UTEP and we sprinkled in uh, basketball with Austin Cox when he was by. But, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are 4-1. and one. They're a game back of the Philadelphia Eagles. And it's been such an interesting um, journey to see them win their last four because – it's not like they're four. They, they, they've won their last four games because Cooper Rush is playing lights out. He's not making mistakes is the best way to put it. He's not putting the Cowboys' defense in a bad spot. If anything, he's running the offense, which has been very run dominant while he's been at quarterback. The running game has gotten it done. The one-two punch of Zeke and Pollard has been terrific. Um, he's made the throws he needs to. He's, you know, he's put them in a spot to win, but they're winning because of their defense. Let's let's not let's not sugarcoat it. They're winning because of their defense. They're winning because of their running game. Um, Cooper Rush is not losing games for them, which is very important. And here's the thing: I wonder. As soon as Dak is healthy, he's going back in. There is no controversy. There is no dilemma. If you're the Cowboys, Dak is your starter. My question is, will McCarthy keep the game plan that he's been running so well with Cooper to Prescott? Or will they go back to Dak putting it in the air you know, 35 to 45 times a game, run the ball, um, but not run it nearly as much, and hope that that defense keeps playing as well. That is what, to me, 
is the most interesting storyline right now if you are a Dallas Cowboys fan. How will the team handle their game plan when Dak does return? This is a great, this is an ultimate conundrum that Cowboy fans are, are kind of, uh, that they probably think about in their head. And, and first off, anybody who wants to talk about Cooper Rush and why he should be the starting quarterback, I, I dare you to call in and, and talk about and defend your man Cooper Rush because that's just, it's just not going to happen. I mean, Dak Prescott's their guy. They're paying him what they're paying him to be their guy at quarterback. Um, I, I think the game plan should stay the same Steve but I think the aggressiveness will come back like they're, they're going to start going for it on fourth downs when they shouldn't they're going to start uh, instead of kicking field goals they're going to try to go for it on fourth downs to try to score touchdowns that's the difference that you get with Dak Prescott at quarterback well the thing is this to me okay Cooper Rush is a very vanilla quarterback extremely vanilla quarterback Dak Prescott is like, um, you know, he is what he is. He's He gives you so much more of a skill set. He can do more things. And it makes you think to yourself, if you're a Cowboys fan, okay, defense keeps playing as well as they are. The offense can run the ball. But if Dak can deliver a um, uh, just a, a, a more, um, I don't want to say precise, but just, you know, open it up a little bit more in the passing game, and know that you can now throw the ball all over the place. See, they should use the run to set up the pass. And instead, what the Cowboys have done before is they've used the pass to set up the run. And that's one of the reasons why you've got Dak throwing the ball 45 times a game. You don't need that right now. You've got a good formula. I would love to see the Cowboys continue to do what they're doing with Prescott. I just don't know if they're going to go there. You're right. Going for it on fourth taking more chances. I feel like that's what they do when they have number four under center. They don't have to do that right now to win football games. Especially because they don't have a true number one receiver. Again, I, I've always maintained that CeeDee Lamb is a is the best slot maybe in the entire NFL beside Tyreek Hill. Like Tyreek Hill probably number one hands down at the slot position. But CeeDee Lamb is probably number two or three and he, he shows what he could do as far as uh, his skill set. He's one of the most uh, athletic receivers you're going to find. But he's not your Amari Cooper who's going to be uh, a vertical target you just throw downfield to every time. Michael Gallup can maybe transform into that spot right there and be your X target receiver. But when you have CeeDee Lamb playing the Y, you don't have those dynamic receivers right now, but you do have two dynamic running backs. Pollard is outstanding. He can break, he can hit holes like no one else. And the way that he did so against the Rams is just, it flips games for, for the Cowboys. And their defense isn't allowing teams to score more than 20 points all year long. Hasn't, yep. hasn't allowed teams to score over 20 all year long so uh, against the Eagles this Sunday I'm so curious to see how this defense locks in how they go up against a tough uh, undefeated team like Jalen Hurts uh, le- that's led by Jalen Hurts uh, and and what kind of offense we're going to find uh, we're going to find from the Dallas Cowboys per the Elias Sports Bureau data this is an interesting Todd uh, Archer nugget the Dallas Cowboys are just the second out of 21 teams to have faced and beaten both Super Bowl teams from the previous year in the first five weeks of the season. That's a great stat right there. I love that one right there. It's an amazing stat when you think about that. It really is. Oh, and by the way, who are the who is the other team? The Atlanta Falcons, 
who beat the Carolina Panthers and Denver Broncos in 2016. And that was the year where Atlanta made their uh, their big run to the Super Bowl, so they were pretty solid that year. Um, and Dan Quinn also coached that team, which yes, he uh, he's a defensive coordinator for the Cowboys right now. Uh, and, you know, the way that the Cowboys were able to just shut down the Rams, I, I know it, the Rams are not who they were last year, uh, but the way that the Cowboys are still able to do it week after week defensively, I don't know if teams have game plans against this defense right here. I don't know how you'd game plan against Micah Parsons and, uh, and of course, uh, you know, just what you're seeing from that whole defensive front. So I really like what the Cowboys are doing so far. Uh, their defense has been phenomenal. It really has. I mean, to me, the defense is the story right now for the Cowboys. It is absolutely the story. All right. We'll get to Charlie in a moment, but before we do, uh, again, a little helpful tip for you folks. Uh, when it comes to buying and selling your home, and you're looking for that person you can trust, go with the person I trust, Brian Birds, and the Brian Birds home selling team powered by EXP Realty. And it's not just because he's the official real estate agent of UTEP, El Paso Locomotive FC, and the Rhinos, but it's results. I'm all about results. I'm a results-driven person, and I love these kind of stories. Like what happened to Anthony. You know, Anthony now lives 700 miles away, But he needed to sell his Northeast El Paso home and called Brian Birds. And Brian immediately started his intense marketing strategies. So that home quickly received multiple offers and was sold for the full asking price of $235,000. Now, Anthony doesn't have the stress at all of maintaining a property so far away. Now, if you uh, want to achieve top dollar, you need that agent who can create an auction-like effect. Buyers competing for your home and driving up the price, and that is Brian Birds. You got to give him a call, folks. Here's the number 751 1500. Visit him online, brianbirds.com, or Google Brian, B U R D S, and start packing. As we continue, Pinky just messaged us on our mobile app. See you at Eastwood High Thursday. Awesome and beautiful gym. Eastwood coach Morales, a Socorro High School alumni from Pinky. Nice fact. I like it. It's a good fact. By the way, that is one of the nicest gyms anywhere. Not just El Paso, period. I love that. That's that's where the Aggies played a couple of years ago during COVID. They needed a place to play because they couldn't play actually in their gym. So they ended up going and playing there instead. World-class facilities, seriously, straight up. I mean, uh, Eastwood High School's gym is is uh, remarkable. Um, that's really the model. And both them and Bel Air, they did a great job on their on their arenas for basketball. Uh, just, uh, you know, hey, it's, it's multi-purpose. So they've hosted wrestling events. They've hosted, of course, a lot of basketball events and stuff like that. They've hosted the Greater El Paso Football Showcase draft that's there uh, annually. So, yeah, a lot of great stuff that's out there. I'm with you on that one. I don't think after our last segment that Dallas Cowboy fans would call in and tell you that Cooper Rush needs to stay on at quarterback. I don't believe they would do that. But I also think that Dallas Cowboy fans aren't going to call and clamor for Dak Prescott against the Eagles Sunday night. Their attitude is, and, and, and here's the way, listen, as everybody knows, I am not a Cowboys fan. My team is 3-2, and two, and that's a total surprise. But that's a totally different subject that nobody else cares about besides me. I care. So, no, please, you don't. I'm not going to talk about the Jets. But as far as the Cowboys go, okay, 
if I was, if if I am, if I have any kind of a, of a say in this one, which I don't, I would not play Dak until he is absolutely one hundred percent healthy. And the interesting thing is this: if he is absolutely one hundred percent healthy for the Philadelphia game, do you play him, or do you roll out Cooper for one more game? That, to me, is a fascinating topic because, you know, Dak has not declared himself 100% healthy at all. Uh, He's still, you know, he's on the mend. We know that. But he's not 100%. So, you know, what what happens if on Thursday Dak says, I'm 100%? Then what? Then what do you do if you're the Cowboys? Do you run him out there against the undefeated Eagles, hoping for the best, or do you say, you know what, sit this one more week out, and no matter what happens, win or lose, you'll be our guy when we bring the uh, the Lions and Bears into town over the next two weeks after that? Yeah, I feel like Lions, Bears, that's that's the weeks that you want Dak Prescott to kind of ease in. Uh, with Philadelphia and the defense that we've seen from them so far, I, I'd be worried about Dak Prescott being rushed back into it. I mean, uh, it's not just the, the stifling linebackers that you're seeing from the Eagles, but it's that secondary that can really embarrass other quarterbacks, opposing quarterbacks, like uh, Darius Slay picking off Dak Prescott it's not a, not a good look whatsoever. And if you're the Cowboys right now, preserve this. Preserve the record that you have. Give yourself the best, uh, you know, put yourself in the best position to win. And I believe that's with Cooper Rush as as just going into this one and Dak Prescott maybe playing at, what, 75% at full strength? Not really fully healthy yet. No, oh, but here's what's going to be really interesting, okay? Jerry Jones said today that Dak will begin throwing at practice tomorrow. Wow. Wow. The return is coming. And that was according to Clarence E. Hill of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. So Dak's going to start throwing tomorrow. And that's going to be an interesting part of the process right there. Is, is there any pain? Is the ball coming out of his hand the way it normally should? Um, are there passes that are wobbly? Who knows? We'll see it all starting tomorrow. And that's when the fun really begins as far as speculating for Sunday night in the Eagles game. Yeah, because we're going to hear all the things about him gripping a football. That was the big question over the weekend. Well, he's kind of far away from gripping the football. Let's see how how well he could throw tomorrow, what kind of team activity he does, uh, whether or not he's in reps, like he actually takes first-team reps. Uh, that will be a big indicator of things. Or if he's just getting some light work in uh, as he tries to come back from this injury. And, he, and he's just trying to get back on the field before he prepares for his full comeback. To me, me, the biggest win on for this whole situation is that the Cowboys now know they have a backup plan. They have they've got somebody that is fully capable of going in there for their franchise quarterback, winning football games, which could potentially be postseason games as well. That is the biggest takeaway from the Cooper Rush experiment. And you want to know something? They've changed the offense for the better. The defense has played exceptional. They haven't asked Cooper Rush to win them football games, but he hasn't lost games either. 
And also, if you look at the rest of the schedule for the Cowboys and for and for the Eagles, for that matter, uh, both these teams have reasonable paths to success. And I think at the start of the year, we looked at the Cowboys schedule. And we were like, "Ugh, this is rough. But the Rams aren't who we thought they were. Bengals maybe take a little bit of a step back. Yet the Cowboys are able to win with their backup quarterback. That's such a that's a big thing right there. Winner. It doesn't matter which opponent it is. If it's Cooper Rush, a quarterback and you're getting a dub, that's all that matters for the Cowboys. And yeah. You're right. It's all about postseason success. What what can you do when it comes to the biggest moments in fo- all of football? Well, th- in order to get to that point, Dak's got to be healthy. He's got to be a hundred percent, and they can't rush him uh, rush uh, him back into the mix uh, before he's fully ready. That's why you can use Cooper Rush. You're hundred percent correct. Twenty eight past the hour. If you want to talk, Cowboys fans, now's your time. Five zero five six zero zero nine. That's five zero five six zero zero nine. Um, I will say this, okay? Cooper Rush has been a pleasant surprise for all Dallas Cowboy fans. Pleasant surprise. Because what he's been able to do is um, take over this team and do everything you could have possibly asked and then some. Because he hasn't made the mistakes. He hasn't turned the ball over. Had a fumble, but it was recovered. They didn't lose the fumble. Has not thrown a pick yet. So those are things you got to be thrilled with right now. Just compare him to all the backups that we're seeing right now across the league. I mean, Jacoby Brissett throwing an interception in a late-game situation when they had it. They won that game against the Chargers, and they coughed that one up. You look across the league with some other backups that we're seeing. I do like what we're seeing from Bailey Zappi, although I would say that uh, it, whereas uh, the Cowboys are conservative with uh, Cooper Rush, the Patriots are extremely conservative with Bailey Zappi. They do not want him to make any mistakes whatsoever. Uh, Kenny Pickett, all Although he's young and although he's the future for the Steelers, I mean, he's had his lumps uh, as as a backup quarterback who's now in the mix and promoted as a starter. But my point is, uh, backup qual- the quality of backup quarterbacks across yep. the NFL, not good. Not good right now, and Cooper Rush is standing out among them. No, you're right. Stevenson had 25 carries for 161 yards and that 29 nothing win over the Lions. But, but, Zappi was 17 of 21. Not bad, yeah. For 188 yards. Had a touchdown and a pick for the um, you know, for the Patriots in that win over the Lions. Not bad. He's the middle tier guy. He's kind of that that uh, above average guy that you'll be okay with. But if you're telling if you're coming at me and telling me that you're okay with uh, backup quarterbacks like I don't know, uh, you know, T- Taysom Hill or Andy Dalton and stuff like that. I know the Saints are competitive and they could still get victories under their belt. But I would way rather Cooper Rush. I love Bailey Zappi. You know that. Yeah. I think he's going to be a starting quarterback someday in the NFL. I like that take. Sooner, like better that than, take. Uh, sooner better than later. All right. Uh, by the way, um, second and third, one out, one nothing Guardians off of Garrett Cole, who has already thrown 53 pitches. He's given up a home run to Stephen Kwan. And right now, former Chihuahua Josh Naylor is up with a chance to really put the Guardians in a big spot here if he can get a hit. This is huge right here. Former Chihuahua Josh Naylor, uh, and yeah, runners on second and third, threatening to score. Uh, Garrett Cole hit pretty uh, well. I mean, pr- hit pretty hard in this third inning. Let's see if he can escape it here with just one run. Er- uh, you know uh, that he er- uh, let go. Well, right now it looks like ah, uh, this is a big play Ooh. here. How about this? They. <laughs> It's they ground out to first, 
But instead of getting the quick out at first base, uh, Anthony Rizzo throws home. The, the runner at third does not come home, goes back to the bag, and is safe. And now they've got bases loaded. Yeah, with one out also. You can at least get one more run here if Gonzalez is able to get a sacrifice fly uh, or you know hit it out to the outfield and, and do something like that. This is big for the, the Guardians right here. That was a huge mistake by yeah, the Yankees. Yeah, bad job huge there, Rizzo. Mistake. Come on. Absolutely. That's big baseball. Big baseball. And now, all of a sudden, the Guardians have bases loaded with one out. That is a monster story to keep an eye on. We'll update you on that right after Adrian updates us on all the big headlines. Here it is. One last Sports Center update as we continue. Thank you very much, Steve. Jordan Alvarez smashed a game-ending three-run homer with two outs in the ninth inning off Robbie Ray, wrecking the Seattle Mariners' strategy of using a Cy Young Award winner in a rare relief role and vaulting the Astros to an 8-7 victory today in their playoff opener. Here's the call from earlier today. Swing and there's a drive. Sucked to right. Back it goes. And that's a walk-off shot. A walk-off shot. You're not has done it with a three-run blast in the bottom of the night. Trailing all game after a poor start by Justin Verlander, the AL West champion Astros overtook rookie star Julio Rodriguez and the wildcard Mariners at the end to begin their first, uh, their best of five divisional series. Uh, Houston was down 7-5 when rookie pinch hitter David Hensley reached with one out in the ninth inning as closer Paul Sewald grazed his jersey with a pitch. Let's go to more news today. This also out of Major League Baseball. Speaking of, Phillies outfielder Nick Castellanos called the post season a fresh start for him after helping his team to a 7-6 victory over the Braves in Game 1 of the NL Divisional Series today. Castellanos, who's 30 years old, had three hits, three RBIs, plus a ninth inning diving catch in right field to help seal the win for the visiting team. Let's go back over to this score right now, this game that's going on right now, ALDS. Uh, it's Game 1 of this one. Uh, the Cleveland leads New York 1-0. Top of the third, two outs, bases loaded as Garrett Cole tries to escape this round with only one earned run. That's a look at your Sports Center update. I'm Adrian Bradis. Adrian, this would be a monster if he's able to get Jimenez out with the bases loaded now in two outs because as soon as you started Sports Center, uh first pitch swing, ground ball to short, threw it to home, got the runner out with uh, the force, so bases are still loaded, two outs, and now um man, almost a uh, third strike call on Jimenez. That looked really good. Nice Man. pitch framing as well, but it looks like that ball was ooh, ooh. might have grazed that. That looked like could have been strike three on that slider, but instead, home plate umpire calls it a ball, so it's two and two with the bases loaded. And uh, you know, we'll see if the Yankees end up getting out of this uh, jam with uh, only one run. Because if Garrett Cole can escape and somehow this is a one nothing game going into the bottom of the third, that'll be a huge opportunity wasted uh, by the Guardians. They, this is their opportunity right here. Get on top of the Yankees as much as you can. You got bases loaded. This is the ultimate opportunity, and you did it with only one out. Uh, bases loaded and only one out, and they had a home run earlier this inning. Let's see what else they could do here. All I know is this. The Mets are done, and there it is. Just struck out Jimenez on a wicked slider 
in the dirt. So just like that, I think Garrett Cole is throwing about 60 pitches through three innings, but you know you can get another two to three more innings out of him, let the Yankee bullpen take over. That's in good shape. Yanks only give up one run. Could have been much, much worse. Should have been much, much worse if you're a Guardians fan. 61 pitches. You're exactly right, Steve. And he has struck out four batters so far. Uh, Garrett Cole, he's shown what he could do. Uh, the aces are out today. And uh, I know Verlander struggled earlier, but maybe Cole can uh, step it up for the Yankees. As great as today has been, Maybe they're saving the best for last. I don't know. I mean, you're not going to top the ending of the Mariners-Astros game, no matter how hard you try. But I'm excited about watching Pods Dodgers tonight later on for game one of this five-game series. Yeah, please. Let's not have one of those lopsided games like we've seen with this series uh, in you know weeks past. I mean, even with the Padres coming off that 6 nothing victory against the Mets. I, you know, I'm sorry, Steve. But uh, in that victory right there, that was exciting. Like, that game was uh, – you, you felt like it, it could flip at any point. The Mets could have claimed some kind of mo- momentum on their side. So I want to see a great game tonight between the Padres and Dodgers. 7.30 starts, so it's going to be a late one, but it's going to be a great one. I'm hoping Clevenger brings it. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah, so. me too. Arias is a tough guy to beat, too. We've got the Dodger Padre game coming up tonight on 600 That's ESPN right. El Paso. You can hear the pregame show right after sports talk today, and then uh, you can hear the game starting up 7.30. Yep, that's what it's all about. I mean, I, I want to deliver uh, playoff baseball for our uh, for our you know our, our listening audience, and that's exactly what we're going to get the opportunity to do now. And I am so excited about that. I really am. So, uh, folks, you want baseball? You're getting it. We're going to have it for you. And uh, that, to me, is what it's all about. In fact, you know, I'm looking. We've got uh, also tomorrow, I believe, at six. Dodgers Padres and that's going to be great and then Thursday we've got Seattle and Houston game two at one o'clock so we got some very good games coming up here on 600 ESPN El Paso yes and another thing to note as well uh tomorrow we will have or ex- excuse me um I-, I believe it's later on in the week we're going to be having uh just Major League Baseball playoffs all week long the one day that we won't is Friday but you should definitely tune in Saturday Sunday 600 ESPN El Paso right here you'll catch Major League Baseball playoff action right here yeah that's good that is good stuff all right hey uh we are nearing the finish line how about this folks how about a show three hours long, no guests? When was the last time you heard three hours of sports talk without a single guest? Which means phone lines have been open all day long. We'll keep them open for you through the rest of the show. You want in? We'd love to hear from you. 505-6009, our telephone number. As sports talk continues right here, it's 600 ESPN El Paso.